Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Food Heals Podcast, episode 221. When you apply minimalism to your life, it challenges you to actually discover what is absolutely essential and important in your life. We were saying no to some things, but then we were saying yes to other things that we wanted to shape and create our lifestyle. I think it wasn't until we stumbled across a documentary called Earthlings, how they dissected animal cruelty, you know, across the pet industry, fashion, entertainment, animal testing, and of course, animal agriculture. We just made a really strong connection, I think. So we became vegan overnight together. Watch Forks Over Knives. Watch What the Hell. The biggest thing for me was the dairy, you know, how it affects your bones. And it's like you're told all your life to drink your milk. Blew my mind on that one. It's just undeniable when yeah. you're seeing all the scientific facts. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today we're tackling the topics of minimalism, veganism, all the isms. First up, Allie and I chat with the king and queen of minimalism, Masha and Michael Ofe. And then I'm joined by guest co-host Whitney Lauritsen to talk to Debbie Chu from Chew on Vegan. But first, Food Heals Nation, have you ever thought your story was so good it should be in a book? Well, now is your chance. Food Heals is coming out with our first ever book. It will be a beautiful anthology of healing stories. In the spirit of Chicken Soup for the Soul, this Food Heals anthology will share short, powerful stories that enlighten, educate, and inspire. It will cover a broad range of topics from nutrition, healing chronic disease, animal activism, overcoming trauma, healthy parenting, exercise, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and so much more. Today, we are opening up submissions to you, Food Heals Nation. Imagine your story in a book, on people's bookshelves, on their coffee tables, in their porch swings, and on their bedside tables. Getting your healing journey out into the world could truly make a difference in someone else's life. We have openings to share 10 Food Heals Nation listener stories. We would love to hear from you. Stories are due no later than October 25th, 2018 and should be first person in under 1,500 words. We see this as a valuable opportunity to share your story with a wider audience and to help them realize their health is in their hands and they have the power to thrive mind body, and spirit. To submit your short story, go to foodhealsnation.com slash submit. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. 
Their dedication to a lifestyle that promotes eating well and living mindfully led them to co-author the book, The Minimalist Vegan, a simple manifesto on why to live with less stuff and more compassion. In this book, they explore the intersection of minimalism and veganism and all that each complementary lifestyle has to offer. They dive deep into conscious living and what it actually means, which they hope will leave you with a thirst and passion to architect your life in a way that brings you purpose and joy each and every day. Welcome, Masha and Michael. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we're happy to be here. I'm so happy that, you know, we could meet on the same time zone, even though we're in completely different places. That's always fun. It's great. (laughs) Gotta love the internet. (laughs) It is the best. So tell us, where are you guys right now? We're in Canberra, Australia. Yeah. So those, for those of you who may not know, that's actually the the capital of Australia. Um, I didn't know that. Yep. That's cool. (laughs) A lot of people think it's Sydney or Melbourne, but it's actually Canberra, right in the middle. Yeah. And how long have you guys lived there? Um, I've lived here for, oh, how long now? 20 or 18 years. And Michael's been here. I've been here 27 years. So, um, yeah, we grew up in, in Canberra. It's a small city. It's about almost 400,000 people. And, uh, we actually grew up going to school together in high school. That's how we met. Yeah. You guys met in high school? How romantic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't start dating in high school. Um, Marsha did have a, a crush on me then. Oh, you always say yeah, that. Yeah, I was always ready to get that in. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's on the pod. You've got to get that in. Uh, but I, ended up, I ended up chasing her frantically in my 20s. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. And is that when your passion for veganism and healthy eating began? Was it together? Did you come up with it separately? Did, did one of you suck the other one in? Yeah, How did yeah, it happen? Yeah. <laughs> it actually came much later on in our relationship, actually. So we became... First, we sort of introduced minimalism into our lives, which was through Michael. He first introduced it into our relationship. And then vegan was about six months later. So that was, what, four years for yeah. minimalism. And then I think August is when we'll be four years in veganism. Yep. So it was definitely a challenge for me with minimalism to begin with because I come from a very creative family and full of artists and the thought of, well, As most people have a misconception of what minimalism is, I was like, oh, my God, you want me to live in a white place with white furniture, no style, (laughs) throw all my things away, and I freaked out and I was like, no, thank you. But then once I started diving a little bit deeper into what it actually is, it really triggered so many other emotions and ways of living that I never thought was really on my agenda before that. So it's been a really amazing journey, and I'm really grateful for for him finding out and, and bringing it into our lives. Yeah. The vegan part is Marsha has been vegetarian for most of her life. Her parents being vegetarian. I think it wasn't until we stumbled across a documentary called Earthlings. Um, yeah. Yeah, which maybe your audience is already aware of. But up until we watched that documentary, I was a heavy, heavy consumer of meat and animal products but after watching Wacom Phoenix narrated and Moby do the background music and how they dissected animal cruelty, you know, across the pet industry, fashion, entertainment, animal testing, and of course, animal agriculture, we just made a really strong connection. I think for Marsha, it was already partway there with her background, but for me, it was a complete shift. Um, so we became vegan overnight together as a result. 
Wow, that's a vegan overnight success story that you don't hear very often. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. I think a lot of people struggle with it, but for us, you know, once you see those things, you can't unsee them. It was just like, yeah, we're going vegan straight away. So, and it was really lucky that we had each other for that support, which a lot of people don't get as well, being able to discuss things and cry about it and yeah. and get angry about it and all of those things so yeah we're really blessed to have each other yeah absolutely it's pretty cool when you live together and then you could just actually completely change what is in your fridge and pantry you know what type of clothes you have and you can do that together um, and you're completely aligned so it's kind of our little cheat code that's beautiful, you guys. And doing the minimalism thing at the same time too, can you define a little bit more about what minimalism is for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think, you know, one of the key chapters in our book is called something that we like to call the more virus. So particularly in our early 20s, we were caught up in this kind of virus where our whole society is basically conditioning us to want more. Okay, so success is purely based on how many cars you have, how big is your house, um, what type of clothes do you have, what type of job do you have, how many friends do you have. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. So when we came across a blog, I don't know if you're familiar with zenhabits.net. Yeah, so um, might be a good guest to get on the show potentially, but Leo Babauta is a single-owned blog that talks about Zen Buddhism and minimalism. And it was through reading how he transformed his life by pursuing less that it started to shift gears for us in our minds. So rather than defining our success about how much that we have, we started to become a lot more content with what we already have. But furthermore, we started to actively pursue less. And that gave us a lot of freedom because when you apply minimalism to your life, it challenges you to actually discover what is absolutely essential and important in your life. So you can actually pursue that. And then minimalism is the key to get rid of things around that so you can do that in peace. And so as you were talking, I went to zenhabits.net and I've never seen a more minimalist website where it's just black. <laughs> it's black text on white. That's all it is. There's no pictures. Yep. There's no ads. Oh, like, my God. Yes. You're right. It, yep. it really is. Just the words. It's, true it's, just, it's just the words. Exactly. So, um, how does that emotionally, what is that like to go through to start to let go of these things and to shift your life in this way? Well, for us, it was more just thinking about how a lot of people end up being trapped in their own stuff and how, you know, sentimental Literally. things. Yeah. Die, dying from it. Sorry to interrupt you. Do you guys have the shows that we have like hoarders, like where people literally die or get trapped in their own yeah. stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah, so it's kind of looking at all the different things that end up trapping you in this mind game of continuing to accumulate things and why you're not letting go of it. So it might be because it's a sentimental item, because it's free, or maybe out of guilt someone is giving you something and you feel bad, like, oh, they won't see it next time they come to my house, or someone else might end up using it later, so that's why you keep it. You know, I might give this to my mum when I'm done using it or to a relative that needs more of this kind of thing. And a lot of people don't get rid of things because they don't want it to go to waste or they don't know how to actually get rid of it. Or one day I might need that product instead of thinking outside the box and Getting back to using things as a community, you know, how many people actually ask their next door neighbor to borrow something? We don't need, right. for instance, men don't need sheds full of equipment that they'll only use once. 
Yeah, or they use for one project or for one job, yeah. and then it just accumulates dust over the next twenty years. Rather than um, hiring yeah. it or borrowing it from a family member or from the next door neighbor, you know that sort of sense of working together and and asking for things rather than having to own it all is um, is really interesting. Or like making that late night target run or that run to the hardware store every time you need something, and then just building up more and more stuff, stuff, stuff. And that's where the culture seems to be. And, you know, this whole throwaway society that we have these days where even with fashion, you know, it's it's designed to be fast fashion. So you wear it for one season, not even a season, and it's actually made to fall apart pretty quickly. So, or the style becomes obsolete. Yeah. So I think it's switching to slow fashion, buying things that are made with organic materials or, you know, that you even get to see on the website or who made the product, you know, if it's made ethically, sourced sustainably, all those things and something that's not going to be out of season next month. So I think it's really just shifting that mindset of everything that you have in your life and that's where veganism and minimalism comes together about conscious consuming as well. It's kind of questioning and thinking about it all rather than just living and, you know, oh, I'll think about that later, I'll throw that out if I don't need it mentality. Yeah, and I think a really good test for a lot of people listening to this is do yourself a favour and target a particular area in your house, for example, your home office. This is a really fun game that the two guys at theminimalist.com talk about. But this is about taking all of the items in your office and putting them in another room. And over the next couple of months, only take out the things that you actually use. From that exercise, you will see the things that you actually use on a regular basis and the things that you barely touch. Um, that's probably a really good identifier to some things that you can potentially pare down in your life. It's like the 80-20 rule, right? Like 80% of what's in our closet, we don't wear. We only wear 20%. I think that was in one of the feng shui books. So it's figuring out what's in that 20% that you actually use and wear. And then you can get rid of 80% of the things that aren't working. There's the Marie Kondo book that talks about this. You know what I'm talking about, Susie? Yeah, right? that. I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that statistic was in there. Oh, maybe it's from a different book. It might be another feng for- shui book. But she's the one that says... Take something in your hand and ask if you feel joy around it. If it inspires joy. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful because there's so much in this room right now. I'm looking around. We're in our podcast studio, which I love. And there's so much good energy here. There's a bunch of pillows on the couch. Maybe we don't need all them. Like not everything in this room inspires joy. I had trouble with that book though. Not only because my husband gave it to me for Valentine's Day. Okay. That's a big thing. (laughs) You can laugh laugh here. Go ahead. Everyone have a good laugh. I didn't. Not at the time, but um, (laughs) yeah, but what she said was like, and I totally get it. Like I was actually, no, there was a good long time. I couldn't afford to keep buying new clothes. So I'd only buy things I really liked or wouldn't buy on the spur of the moment. Like I was a starving artist. So I wasn't shopping as much as I normally probably would have if I had the funds to. And that kind of taught me a lesson. But what she did was, or in her book, she's like, take all of your clothing, all of it, and put it in a pile on the floor. And start going through it. And that by itself gave me anxiety. That's true. That's That can be a lot. And then, ready. and then I did start doing what she was, you know, proposing. And then afterwards, there were certain things I got rid of that did have maybe in the moment and spark joy. Like there was a, it was a hard to, it was hard to find that barometer because there were things that I got rid of that I was like, oh, you know what? I would have used that today. And maybe I didn't use it as often as she had said you have to, to in order to keep it. But I, I don't know. I think it's a personal line because I did regret getting rid of some of the things that 
I used to have, but I do get it because I come from a, a family of my, my grandma, one of my grandmothers was a hoarder and it was a nightmare to mm. go to her house and see all of these boxed up antiques and yeah. fabrics and paintings and things that she did not need that were causing health problems actually. Wow. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. There's a lot of emotion there, I think. And it's, I don't know. I, I think for us, it's, if your why is strong enough, the actions will follow but I just think as well that there's a lot of comfort in having more. Um, you know, it's a safety blanket in having more. Just um, in case. Just in case. But I think, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we see simplicity as this really beautiful thing, right? I think it's a, it seems like it's kind of attainable, but it's quite elusive and hard to get to. But I think when you start having the goal as simplicity, um, it starts to change the conversation. For example, when you talk about fashion, you know, as minimalist vegans, this is a huge pain point in our household. And I recently wrote an article about an argument of, to wear the same clothes every day. Now, a lot of people talk about Barack Obama and Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs as people who wore basically the same clothes every day to eliminate the amount of decisions that they have to make from a minimalist standpoint and a productivity standpoint. But when you actually look a bit further into some of this content that came out about Steve Jobs, it wasn't necessarily about decision fatigue as to why he wore black turtleneck and blue jeans every day. It was about him trying to become an icon, like a superhero. So we associate superheroes as people that wear the same clothes and they're iconic. Steve Jobs took the same approach to his personal attire and how he was trying to build the world's biggest tech company. So when I go back to fashion and, you know, I speak from a male perspective and I know Marshall and I have had many conversations over this, it's like, well, you know, if you look at a season and you say, well, what's actually my personal uniform as opposed to, oh, I need to pare down for the sake of it, but what do I want to represent in this world and what type of clothes can I bring in to support that? And it might be multiple items of the same style, maybe in different colors. There's a bit of variety in there and that can change every season. But all of a sudden, this becomes more attractive rather than seeing it as something that's extremely restrictive. And less decision, you know, you don't get to decision fatigue every morning when you go and go, oh my God, what am I going to wear today? Yeah. It's the weather like, you know, all of those types of things. Yeah, but you also don't feel boring because you feel like, you know, you're representing something that you want to be in the world. And you feel good because you've picked out clothes that actually fit you, that don't need any mending that, that will last a while. How long did it take you to get to where you are? Because it can be emotional to let go of things. And, you know, we have those attachments to well, I may need it one day, or this is safety. And it's almost people, a lot of times on those shows that Susie mentioned earlier that are hoarders, it's like they're holding on because they may suffer from um, some sort of poverty mentality where they believe that they need it, you know, so that they can survive. And so how was it for you as you were slowly or maybe quickly getting rid of things? What was the emotional journey like? If I was to reflect, it was quite quickly, totally understand the the emotions around possessions. It's different but, for everyone. And it's, different, and it's different for everyone. I think for us, we're really fortunate because we moved a few times 
as you move house, you know, I think everyone goes through a bit of a process about, oh, I need this, I don't need this. Or you might think, oh, you know, I'll fit all of this stuff in one carload. Yeah. <laughs> and you quickly <laughs> underestimate how many things you actually own once you start pulling them out of cupboards and putting them in boxes or just putting them directly into your car. But I think it was around the time that we became minimalist that we moved, I think, twice in one year yep. that actually helped us clarify and helped us to declutter and and do all of those things. Yeah, and I think back to the your point about this emotion and sentimental items, we do still have a place in our house for that. We've got two small boxes each that we use purely for sentimental items in our lives that we've accumulated. Um, but everything else is basically on audition all the time um, as to whether it makes the cut. But I think we also don't want to mix up like spring cleaning and organizing with decluttering. Decluttering is a process that you do once and then you basically have the mindset to ensure that nothing else of in terms of clutter comes into your life. So it is a, a bit of a process that we did gradually. Sorry, March wants to say something. I was just going to say because you know those set of questions that you ask yourself before you bring something new into your house, whereas before you did it a little bit mindlessly. So now you actually have conditioned your mindset to a different way of thinking to focus on, okay, well, do I actually really need this? You know, do I already have something that can do the same job or similar job at home? Or you end up bringing the main things that we bring into our house now is 90% of it is food. Yeah. (laughs) So, and we're big foodies and we, and that's, I guess, that's where our focus is in life most of the time. It just becomes a different set of questions and and the way that you think about it before you were just kind of aimlessly gathering stuff. But do you remember how long it took us to actually get to that point? I think it was probably about six months because so minimalism to us is not just about physical possession. So that happened quite quickly. Like we broke up Mm. room by room of the house. I didn't realize how much excess that we had in our kitchen with pots and pans and and breville makers and toasty, like all these different unique equipment that we just didn't need. That was really quick to sort of get to that point. But we also went through a process with everything in terms of like friends, <laughs> as ruthless as it sounds, but we really assessed the people that we had around us. We assessed all of our commitments. We had different businesses back then that we were able to quit, um, you know, sporting commitments. Like we did this all within a couple of months and it was quite drastic. And, and there was definitely, I know for me, those moments of, oh, did we go a bit hard on this? But honestly, we haven't really looked back. And what is decluttering and getting rid of whether it's physical things or whether it's people, um, what does that do for your mental, emotional state? Freedom. Yeah, it actually helps you free up time for the things that you uh, that you care about, that you want to be, you know, whether you want to serve the world in many different ways and if you want to be an activist, if you want to, I guess for us it helped us to create more space for our blog to write content, to connect with people that are like-minded, to actually just take a breather, to meditate, to do all of those things that it was like, oh, I don't have time for that. It's really important to really work out for yourself, well, what do I actually want to get out of life, you know, and then focus on including more of those things. And that's why it was so much easier for us, I think, to eliminate other things because we were saying no to some things, but then we were saying yes to other things that we wanted to shape and create our lifestyle. Yeah, and I think, and again, the misconception of minimalism is that 
you pair down, pair down, pair down until you're on top of a mountain um, in baggy tracksuits meditating. It's actually about addition more than subtraction. And what I mean by that is minimalism calls you out on, like what Marsha said, what you really want in life. So do you want to take become a cook? Do you want to play an instrument? Do you want to become an entrepreneur? All these things that you may have dreams of doing, but there's so much stuff in your life that's suffocating you that you can't pursue it. It just makes you think about those things so you can really ruthlessly eliminate the rest so you can pursue that. Yeah, it really creates so much space, doesn't it? I remember like I compare it now, like I used to get a rush from shopping and bringing in new things. And then when I started learning about feng shui and about the power of getting rid of things and how it could create more space for not physical things, but for things I could create in the world. And now I get a rush from bringing things to goodwill or for letting go of things that I'm like, why do I still have this? I, I have no need for this. And it really feels good. And just creating that space is so powerful. And then the same thing with working. It's like, I'm at a point now where I work primarily 85 to 90% from my home. And if if I'm sometimes I'm working in my living room, sometimes I'm working in my office and wherever I am, if there's clutter or if it's messy, I find my mind cluttered. I find myself less able to focus and the less stuff that's in the room and more that I can clean it up, the more that I can actually create. And I didn't realize that for a long time because I thought, oh, it doesn't matter. It's a little messy while I'm working, but it it does. And it's so interesting. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> I'm one of those people that I need a completely clean and tidy space. I don't know if it's... I always used to think, oh, it's just me, but I've connected with other people <laughs> that feel the same way yeah. over the years. But, you know, like if the kitchen's messy, I can't do any work. Like I don't know if it's an <laughs> obsessive compulsive disorder a little bit, but I find that if the space is clean and tidy, I can actually get so much more done. Um, and the less stuff that you have to tidy, to clean, to dust, to move around, all of that sort of stuff, the more time that you can pursue doing the things that you want in life. Yes, that's such a good point. So um, let's talk about your book. Tell us about The Minimalist Vegan. Yeah, so uh, to give you a bit of context, uh, we've been writing on our blog for for three years with the same title, theminimalistvegan.com, and the book is really a manifesto of all those ideas over the last couple of years. It's a why-to book of why to live with less stuff and more compassion. So why I say it's a why-to book, it's because, you know, when you hear about our story, a lot of minimalism and veganism concepts have come with a huge mental shift and it's been very easy for us to take action as a result. Uh, rather than doing it the other way around um, and trying to transition into veganism and minimalism without having a really strong core why. Um, so the book is broken up into chapters with particular themes about mindset um, as it relates to both. So that's pretty much what it's about. Beautiful. And so do you have any more books in you, more stuff to look forward yeah. <laughs> to? Well, we might even, we've been talking even lately of, of topics going, oh, how did we not cover this in the book? So there might be an updated version of it or Probably the next one would probably be a cookbook and a course. and But, yeah, we've definitely got other books in the pipeline that yeah. will come out in the next few years. Definitely the cookbook would be, I think, for Marsha as well. Do you want to tell them a little bit about what your ideas are for your cookbook? Yeah, so I grew up the first eight years of my life. I grew up in Slovenia, in Ljubljana, which is the capital. And when Michael and I were travelling to Europe a few years ago, 
we were already vegan at that point and we found it pretty tricky to find places to eat and we visited my hometown and Michael fell in love with the place and there was a few they actually had more vegan options than we do back here and it's about the same population over there I wanted to sort of marry and I haven't seen a book of this kind I wanted to marry sort of Eastern European, but because my parents are Serbian and Croatian, sort of ex-Yugoslav recipes, traditional recipes, and veganize them. So making the foods that I guess I grew up with eating, the cakes, my mom used to bake cakes pretty much every day when I was little, and just making them vegan. But if I can make it a more of a healthier twist on them as well, but still have the taste and the flavors coming through there. So that's kind of the idea that I have behind creating something. So you guys are a married couple and you run a business together. How the F do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) It takes patience. We yell at each other sometimes. But at the the end of the day, we're still on the same page, which is really great. I think we're very fortunate to most of the time align with the message. And I guess the biggest challenge for us is sometimes Michael's a really he has a much more entrepreneurial mind than I do and he's more of a visionary and thinks long-term, whereas for me I'm like, let's just get through the week and then we can focus <laughs> on other stuff later on. Yeah, I think it comes with its challenges but we honestly wouldn't have it any other way because we align in so many different ways that, you know, it's it's just a pleasure to work together as well. You know, the more that you work together, the more you identify what your strengths are and how you can complement. And luckily, we've got complementary skills. I mean, Marsha's a photographer by trade and she can design stuff. And obviously, she's a great cook and she really likes talking about some of the topics we talk about. So, creatively, I don't contribute that much, but I do have a bit more technical know-how with the back end of websites and um, I love really going deep in some of these topics. So, it just just worked out that things were complementary. And like what we talk about on our website and our book are the things that we live out every day. So it's really, it's a blurred line between business and personal for us. And Masha, do you take those beautiful pictures on Instagram? All the food, yes, but some of the other All the food, I know. My mouth is watering for some of these right now. (laughs) Because I studied photography and at that point in time, I wanted to be a food and travel photographer. And it was really difficult to stay here and, and do that type of work. So I had a portrait business because that was sort of the best way to make money. And then four years later, I decided that it didn't feel like it was completing me and that I was doing the work that I should be in this world. And so it's kind of come full circle that now I'm, I'm doing food photography again, which is what I initially wanted to do. I have a question for you guys. Do you guys take a minimalist approach to social media as well? We try to. I mean, I, I think for us because I mainly look after the social media stuff. I only post when I have something to post and I don't need to be posting every day three times, you know, just to to get content up. So sometimes we won't post for So a you don't months. have a set rule like I have to post twice a day or, no. you know, once every three days. Yeah, you just do it when you're inspired. And, and when we have something to say, you know, I don't – I there's so much – on social media that that feels a little bit forced and that doesn't to me I I sort of have this filter of it doesn't feel genuine don't post it and just because you feel like you need to post for us it's the opposite we do I guess have a minimalist approach to it so yeah it's really interesting when you talk about minimalism and running a business and you guys probably go through this as well but like we literally wrote a post earlier this week called minimalist blogging and 
what that meant is when we first launched the blog, we were pretty regimented in publishing two posts a week, like recipe lifestyle, recipe lifestyle, recipe lifestyle. And now when we review our content, it's not so much about the schedule, although that's great. I think you need that so the audience can build some sort of dependency on that. But minimalist blogging for us is really about looking at our archives and creating the best archives that we can. And that means going for quality over quantity. So it's really about, we've even gone back and deleted the posts or we've updated them. We, you know, when we write now, we want it to be the best content that we can possibly put out, but we're not putting it out as consistently, but we feel so much better with the body of work as a result. I could not agree more. And there have been times where I've beat myself up because a podcast episode has gone up late or we had to skip a week, but it was because the content was more important than the consistency. And I do believe in consistency, obviously, when building a brand, but the content is king, you know, and if it's not what you can 100% stand behind, then it's like, what is the point of getting it out just to get it out there? And you can see people that do that and it feels false and it feels inauthentic. Absolutely. Couldn't agree agree more. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you guys are super authentic and I can clearly see that from all the work that you do. Thanks. So tell everyone where they can find you online and about your store, your book, your website, your social media handles, all that good stuff. So we, our website's theminimalistvegan.com and on social media, it's the same. We're on Instagram and Facebook by the same names. And the, on our blog, The Minimalist Vegan, we do offer, we've created a free cookbook to have an introduction to plant-based living. I mean, that's available if you join our Slow Sunday Mornings newsletter. Our book's available at pretty much all yeah. main online bookstores and even you might find it in physical stores as well yeah well thank you guys so much for being uh being here and talking to us thank you so much for having us it's been really great fun it's been great catching up with you guys all right we hope you enjoyed that conversation on minimalism and veganism stick around because we've got some more isms coming up after this Food Heals Nation, do you want to know the secret to younger, firmer, clearer skin? Nah. What? Sure I do. (laughs) Susie, nah. Yes, you do. Okay. Of course we do. Everyone does. And yes, it is the food. And yes, it is the nutrition. And yes, it is what we put in our bodies, but it's also what we put on our skin. Daisy Jing has discovered the secret to putting what you need to put on your skin, and we're so happy to share her secrets with Food Heals Nation. You remember Daisy, who was on the podcast and shared her story of growing up with acne and scarring since third grade. She was bullied. I know, that was so young. She was bullied. She was made fun of by her classmates, and she couldn't take it any longer. So she sought to make a change not only for herself, but for the acne and skin industry as a whole. And she tried product after product, and through this, she discovered certain ingredients that were found in most skincare actually made her skin worse. Many of the products had fragrance and dyes and silicones, and they aggravated her skin, so she had to work together with a chemist friend to actually create the skincare that was right for her that didn't contain those toxic ingredients. And she documented this whole skin journey healing on her YouTube channel. And it worked. She now has beautiful, acne-free skin, and everyone wants to know what her secret is. Well, her secret is Banish, a product she created, which is a beautiful line of healthy skincare products, and their signature product is the Banish Kit. 
I love the Banish kit. It comes with the Banisher and the Banish Oil Vitamin C Serum. The Banisher works by creating these like micro wounds in the skin, but it's controlled. So the skin actually is caused to renew itself because the skin thinks it's injured. Well, it is injured, right? Yes. It's controlled injury. It's controlled damage. <laughs> you understand this more than I do, but I know it works. Well, it's how the, the body's meant to repair itself. So if, if you're having skin problems and, and you need a little guidance to get it up to your face and try to fix itself, this is that's how that works. So the Banish Oil is a vitamin C serum containing L-ascorbic acid, the most potent form of vitamin C. You guys know how I feel about vitamin C. Together, this set can help fade the look of fine lines, uneven texture, hyperpigmentation, or scarring without any downtime. Which is pretty amazing. And we all know Susie's grandfather's story. But in case you forgot, her grandfather lived to 99 and didn't have wrinkles. And we really attribute this to the fact that he was vitamin C obsessed, right? He absolutely was vitamin C obsessed. So check them out, Food Heals Nation. The products are made fresh to order. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee you can use the Food Heals Nation discount code for $10 off your order for limited time at Banish.com. Next up, I'm talking with Debbie Chu. You're listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. She's a full-time registered nurse and part-time YouTuber who's on a mission to educate and inspire anyone who will listen on the healing power of plants. Please welcome Chew on Vegans, Debbie Chu. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And she's the vegan vixen known as Eco Vegan Gal Online. Plus, she teaches content creators how to monetize their brands with her Creative Wealth course. Please welcome Whitney. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to have Debbie on this. I know. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. So how do, how do we all know each other? Let's start there. I'm like trying to, oh, I met Debbie through Jason. I know. Jason exactly. Robel at the... Well... Eat, drink, vegan. It, that, was, that was the first time, right? Both yes. of you. I, I distinctly remember meeting you there, but I, I couldn't remember if that was the very first time I had met you. And you just had this happy energy around you. I was like, who is this woman? And Jason was raving about you. And and it's just been amazing. I, I've now gone on to do all sorts of things with Debbie because of her, with her. You're just such a wonderful person. It's been great. Aww. <laughs> and so Debbie, tell us about you and being a registered nurse. How long have you been doing it? And what are you up to today? I've been a nurse since 2009. I went back to school at a later age. Um, I had worked in the grocery business for about 24 years. I don't know if you remember in 2003, all the grocery stores went on strike. Mm -mm. Yeah, so I was on strike along with my husband. He worked for the company as well for five months. Okay, and why were they on strike? They were renegotiating their contract okay. and, you know, health benefits, raises, that sort of thing. I had a lot of time to think going mm -hmm. around that picket line. And I had always wanted to be a nurse, but life gets in the way, you know, as you know. I started talking to one of my coworkers, and his wife is a nurse. And I said, God, I've always wanted to do that. And he goes, well, why don't you? I said, oh, I'm too old. He goes, well, why do you say that? I said, oh, it'd be too much school. He said, well, why don't you just go to the college, the local college, and see what it would take? Because I did have some college. I had never thought of that before. Yeah. So I went to the college and had a met with the counselor, and it was really nothing. I mean, it was a few an English class, some science classes. It would have been easy. So I started school in spring of 2004, started the nursing program in 07, and graduated in 09. It's such a great story of how sometimes we think we can't do something, mm -hmm then somebody can encourage us and it makes all the difference. And a lot of times it's so much easier, but we just have these ideas, these stories in our head right. that something's too hard or impossible or we're too old and we don't even look to see what the process is. And so we kind of just block ourselves. 
I feel like this will, this could be so helpful in helping people understand like what is it like to be a nurse and and what kind of power do you have as a nurse or or ways that you don't have power like I've talked to some people that are really passionate about wellness and plant-based eating for example and a lot of times they feel really frustrated because they have all this knowledge but the doctors won't allow them to talk about it or the hospital or whatever and so they're not allowed to advise the things that they know could really make a difference. Have you found that to be true? Definitely, definitely. And part of a nurse's job is education. You can to a point, but you have to be careful because you're under the umbrella of the hospital. You know, you can't give medical advice, so to speak, but you can definitely point them in the direction I have, you know, watch what the health and, you know, check out this video or read this book, you know, just kind of explain the benefits of a plant-based diet. So I definitely do that. And yes, it's true. I've talked to doctors and they, they poo poo it. I mean, I've talked to oncologists, you know, how do you feel about changing people's diets? Well, you know, it's, they just want to do the whole traditional route. Is that because you're a nurse and they're a doctor? Is there like that hierarchy? Or no. would they do that even if you were a doctor as well with those opinions? Right, right. Because I did have one doctor, um, he listened to uh, Forks Over Knives, and he really, you know, kind of poo-pooed the whole thing, you know, and it was it was really frustrating. You know, it's just like I've suggested to doctors when they give patients antibiotics, I said, can we give them probiotics while we're giving them antibiotics? Yeah. Well, sure, if you think, yeah, that's fine. I mean, they don't really get the connection, and it really does help, you know, and so you can make suggestions. I'm lucky at my hospital, the doctors are fairly receptive if you ask them for certain things, you know, like the probiotics or, or can I change this person's diet to X, Y, Z? And they're like, sure, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I was talking to some people about probiotics the other day, friends of mine, and they said, well, the only time we've tried them was after we did some serious antibiotics, but they had no idea. They were fascinated by probiotics. And it was just it was interesting. I don't know if they said that their doctor recommended probiotics after antibiotics or if they like heard that somewhere. But that alone, you know, it's amazing to me that that isn't more recommended because it's kind of like the I think they should go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, the gut is everything. And so that the antibiotics are destroying all of the gut flora and we got to keep the healthy stuff. So probiotics are essential. Um, But what I want to say about nurses that I spent a lot of time in the medical care system when uh, my mom was sick. First, she had multiple sclerosis, then cancer, and then same with my father, dealing with a lot of medical issues and then having cancer. The doctors were in and out, but the nurses were so much more because not only were they administering everything, you know, doctor's orders, but they were caring for my parents and saying, what do you need and how can I help you and giving them life advice and being almost like a psychotherapist Mm -hmm. and giving them hope. And I think that I have so much love and respect for the nurses that help my parents and love and respect for nurses everywhere. And I just want to say that because the doctors are so overscheduled, over busy, regardless of what they're promoting and practicing and preaching, which I know is another conversation that you girls started off talking about. But I just feel like nurses are in such a beautiful position to give that care to patients who truly just need that extra touch, that Absolutely. extra love. Mm-hmm. I think um, nurses are 
kind of the liaison between the doctors and the patients because like you were saying they um, only see them for maybe 10 minutes you know in the whole day and we're there for 12 hours yeah they really lean on you and you know sometimes the family members are really distraught depending on the situation and they just need someone to talk to so it's kind of like a holistic kind of a practice where not just giving meds but you're also it's a it's psychological as well mm-hmm. so And you had some health issues that you've dealt with. And can you tell us about those and how you kind of have been overcoming those? Definitely. Um, Well, in 2008, I was um, diagnosed with celiacs. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been a pretty easy fix. Just go gluten free. But the big thing that I had was in um, 2012, I was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's just your own body attacking your liver. And um, I was really sick. I mean, I was like down for the count. I had to go to a gastroenterologist. Of course, he wanted to put me on steroids. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I just I think my body can clear it, you know, and, and so every three days, I would get my blood drawn, and I was just getting worse and worse. I was like the color of that orange, my Mm -hmm. liver was just shutting down. And did you already have a holistic perception, like the body can heal itself? Right, I I had gone vegan in 2011, Uh you know, and I'm like, I can do this, you know, my I give my body what it needs, I can heal it. The last time I went, he said, you know, I'm going to put you in the hospital if you do not take these steroids. Oh, my God. I I mean, that's how bad it was. You know, he's so I said, okay. I will take them. And I think that's when you need to take it Mm -hmm. when you're in an acute situation like that. I conceded and started taking that. Uh, But in the meantime, I joined a support group online and I was listening or reading their stories. And like some people were nurses and they had these high powered jobs and they couldn't work anymore. And they were on these medications for years with all these side effects. And I was like, nope, that's not going to be my life. Right. So I started doing research and I found this doctor in New York and he specializes in like Lyme disease, autoimmune hepatitis, other hepatitises. And I sent him all my labs, my tests and had an about an hour conversation on the phone with him after he reviewed everything. And this doctor is educated in both East Eastern and Western medicine. Amazing. Yes. So he confirmed that I do have autoimmune hepatitis. And he said, don't worry, we're going to get you off those steroids very quickly. Oh, wonderful. So he uh, set up a Chinese protocol herb medicine for me and shipped it to my house and I started taking it and I was afraid to tell my doctor my GI doctor because I thought he'd like flip out you know so I didn't say anything for like three weeks and my numbers started coming down and he started reducing my steroids and then finally I told him and he he was surprisingly accepting of it you know he said you know that's great it seems to be working um it's not hurting anything so and I was off my steroids in about six weeks which is pretty much unheard of. That is amazing. Yeah, seriously. Because usually these, like I said, lifetime, they're on these medications. And then I went off the steroids in about six weeks, and it took me time to kind of get my strength up because the steroids are horrible. Your muscles atrophy, Mm -hmm. and it's just Mm -hmm. awful. The side effects are terrifying. Oh, yeah. You can't sleep. You're hungry. You're thirsty. But you start losing all this weight. It's just, oh, it's awful. And I had a new respect for my patients that are on these steroids. And then I decided, okay, now I got to make my comeback. And um, the beginning of the next year, I started training for a half marathon. In October of 2013, I ran a half marathon. So just to prove to myself that I'm healed. Yeah, girl, I'm healed. I'm here. Here I am. Right. And I've (laughs) never had a flare up and just have to be and that's another reason to be on a vegan diet. Yeah, a plant based diet is to keep the inflammation in your body as low as possible. Do you think that I can't remember where I read this. 
first of all, is it true that Western doctors aren't allowed to recommend kind of like more of the Eastern medicine? Like, isn't there some legal things that bind them to only be able to recommend steroids, for example, versus an Eastern or more holistic thing? Is that an actual? I don't think there's anything illegal about it. I just don't think they know about it or choose to learn about it. But it's interesting to me with his reaction with saying, you know, you were so afraid. And then once he saw the evidence, he's like, oh, that's good that you did that. And and in my head, I'd be like, well, why didn't you recommend this? Or why didn't you tell me there might be another way? You know, it's interesting, like a doctor that's saying there is no other way versus this is the way I know of, but you might be able to find somebody else that could help guide you through it more holistic wise. I just, that that's so curious to me, right? Like, and how these doctors react to these, the diet and, and things. And I wonder, was he, was he telling you like, that was a good kind of like, oh, this worked and not, there's nothing wrong with that. Is it more like he can only say that after you try something, but he can't actually recommend it to you? I wonder. I, you know, probably I should have asked him, is there anything else? But I was not in the right mind. You know, I was but really I don't think sick. most people are. And that's, that's what the yeah. concern is, is the average person, do they even have that thought in their head? Is there another way? Or mm-hmm. I feel like most people trust their doctors so much right. that they don't even think to question what they're recommending. So why is it up to the patient to ask more questions? Shouldn't it be up to the expert, the doctor? Well, to- that's why we have this podcast to tell people that your health is in your hands. Yeah. Yes. And we have to be our own wellness advocate. No one else is going to be that for us. And I think what you might have heard is the fact that oncologists, at least in California, are not allowed to prescribe anything else for cancer other than chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation. That's, that's true. true. Even Elliot. if they believe something different or know there might be something different or have heard there could mm-hmm. be something different, they're legally not allowed. Now, my friend who had breast cancer, her doctor, she said, what about herbs? What about acupuncture? What about Chinese medicine? What about a detox? He said, by law, I am only allowed to prescribe blah, 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 blah. If you want to research on your own, feel free. Basically saying like, go at it, honey, but I cannot advise you in that way. That's scary. That is scary. And it's, I'm kind of the opposite where here we are talking about doc, and I haven't been to a doctor. I can't even remember the last time I went to a, a you know quote unquote regular doctor's office. I don't even really go to a holistic doctor very often because I've been so You're healthy, good. <laughs> you know. And it's like, but I grew up with this mentality of you go in for your yearly checkup, and you know, you always got to check in on yourself. And I remember I would get sick all the time growing up. And once I changed my diet and my lifestyle and started educating myself, there's been like no need to do that. And so I don't even have a reference point for what it's like to be in a hospital, except when I visited my grandfather, you know. And so it's just so interesting how that can shift entirely for you. And then you lose perspective on on what most people are experiencing. Yeah. You transitioned your story into a vibrant YouTube channel. And that's how I met you at Whitney's. What's your what's your group called? The YouTube Mastermind Group? Was yeah. that how you met? Okay. That's how I met yeah. Debbie. Mm-hmm. So we met in Whitney's group, and I was impressed by your YouTube channel and everything that you're promoting. So tell us how you made that transition and tell us what you're doing today. Okay. Well, it came in part because I would get so many questions at work from my coworkers. I'd bring my lunch. What are you eating? How do you do that? It looks hard. 
And I said, it's really not. So I started doing um, just Facebook Live. Yeah. And, and then I wanted to do something more structured. So I decided just to start a channel so I could reach more people. It was funny because I'm not a tech person. And mm-hmm. my son, ha- I'm like, can you help me set up this YouTube channel? And he's like, oh, mom, it's so easy. you know. So he walked me through it. And he now he edits my videos too. So, oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, he's my little editor. <laughs> That's great. In between playing video games? Well, actually, he's got a full-time <laughs> job now, so... <laughs> now I'm like, I need a video. Yeah, so I just started my channel. And at first, I was just posting my Facebook Live to YouTube. Yeah. And so they're kind of bad, those first ones, you know. And that's, you know, I got involved with Jason, and he helped me a lot. But how I got involved with Jason is he was um, doing this uh, Healthy Hustle six-week yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. So I took that class. And at the end of the class, uh, there was like, about meditation, your health, exercise, organization, a lot of good things. And at the end of that class, he offered a one-hour free consultation to see if you would want to be coached by him. And I decided, what the heck, you know? So I signed up. he's a great coach. Yeah, so we talked. He called me, and we talked for about an hour. And he goes, I think I want to work with you, and I think, you know, we're a good match. And so I started working with him in May of that year, which was last year. And so he helped me find my name and just get my, and he's like, first thing, you got to get a better camera. (laughs) (laughs) So so he kind of helped me navigate the whole thing. So. And what's your name? Chew on Vegan. Love it. Yeah. Because your name is Debbie Chew. Right. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I married the right guy. (laughs) Yep. And um, tell us about some of the content that you're producing now. I do a lot of basically just recipes just to show people that how easy it is. And all my recipes are gluten-free. Most of them are oil-free, low salt. A lot of them are sugar-free. Yeah, and I just try to show you that it's easy. I I have shown like how to meal prep for the week. I do some vlogging. Uh, Not so much. I like to get more into that, kind of giving ways to transition. So just kind of a lot of different things, but mostly recipes. And why did you originally go vegan? I had toyed around with it for a long time. I was vegetarian in my 20s and then kind of went back to eating like chicken and stuff. And then I just started not feeling good, you know, and I just started doing research. And then um, I lost my mom. She had cancer. And that just kind of really makes you think about health and, you know, because and and she smoked and had done things like that early in her life. So that contributed to it. But I well, what really did it was I watched Forks Over Knives Mm -hmm. and I just went, no, no excuse. There's no reason not to. So that was really my inspiration. I love how these films, one by one, each person seeing a different film are creating this community of people who are completely changing their diets after watching them. It's so powerful. It's mm-hmm. so incredible. Yeah, because so many of us like to sit down and watch a movie for entertainment or inspiration. And then, you know, it's so interesting the difference between that and podcasts, because I feel like people really love podcasts and those can really influence people if they're, you know, listening on a regular basis or they hear a really inspiring interview and, and movies sometimes work in a completely different way where you're seeing all these doctors. You know, I think that was the thing with Forks Over Knives that was really brilliant was that they had all of these case studies. They had doctors. They, they, you got to follow the story and see the evolution. And then that similar model for what the health and other films that are starting to come out now are, are really just kind of showing you in, in an hour and a half, you get to see how much this one decision can change you and you can sit down and watch it with somebody else and inspire them. And 
It's yeah, like, and you, it's just undeniable when yeah. you're seeing all the scientific facts. And I think the biggest thing for me was the dairy, mm-hmm. you know, how it affects your bones. And it's like you're told all your life to drink your milk. Milk does a body good. I know. And that just was like blew my mind on that one. So, yeah. I remember the first time um, I ever heard milk doesn't do my body good. And I didn't believe it. So I grew up completely brainwashed, like drinking milk with every meal. I would even have milk with pizza. Like it was a thing because I was like, at least uh-huh. at least I know the pizza isn't the best. And I'm drinking my milk because it does my body good. And, you know, completely brainwashed. I go to um, I was in North Carolina just so clueless about nutrition and the husband and wife team the husband was an acupuncturist and the wife she did um this like all kinds of stuff but she did food allergy testing and they were just a great team and they had they told me about blood type diets all kinds of stuff where I was just like what are you people talking about over here and they said well you know you're having all these chronic health issues well are you eating dairy and I was like yeah, of course. Milk does my body good. And he was like, schooled me in such a sweet and polite way, but basically told me that it was terrible. And I went home like, oh, this guy is such a quack. I swear, you guys, <laughs> I was so clueless. But that like opened my eyes to start doing my own research. And this is still before YouTube and Google and all of the things that exist Netflix. today. Netflix. <laughs> I had never heard the word vegan. I knew what vegetarians were, but it was still like, oh, that's what hippies do. And uh, slowly I started to get my eyes open. And when I started to to eliminate, I, ne- I didn't give up dairy back then, but I would eliminate it for a week or something like that. And I would slowly start to feel better and go, oh, this food thing. Yeah, it, there might be something to it. Yeah, I remember, you know, recently I saw a commercial for lactate milk or something. And it's like, are you sensitive to milk? Well, just drink this milk that doesn't have lactose in it or whatever. And I'm, yeah. I'm watching this now, remembering when I used to see that. And because I've, I think I've always been lactose intolerant. And I remember when I started to suspect that I was probably in my late teens, early twenties. And I remember buying that lack, lact, it's lactose free milk, right? Isn't that what it is? I don't even know. Lactate or whatever. And so I remember buying that and be like, I'm making a good decision because I like still felt like I needed to drink. It's so bizarre now thinking about that. But I, I find those commercials insanely fascinating. And simultaneously, I was just talking about this with a friend. We were watching a TV show and the commercials come on. And it was for like uh, some product. They were, The whole commercial was like, Does, is this food making your stomach feel upset? And the guy's like eating pizza <laughs> and all this junk food. And they're like, well, the solution is to take this pill and right. then you'll feel better. And I thought, wow, like... There's still all these advertisements that if you don't feel good, you can still eat that stuff that's not making you feel good, but just take this pill or have the version that doesn't have that one thing in it, and you can still consume this food that's like making you feel awful. And that's just like talk about brainwashing yeah. where people feel like, oh, well, I really want my, let's just say pizza. It makes me feel awful, but I'll take this pill. There's a pill for that. And mm-hmm. then- you know, we're so fortunate now that vegan pizza, for example, and gluten-free pizza are tasting better and better. And so now we just need to show people that they can still have that pizza, but they can have it without taking a pill and still have that phenomenal experience. And it's like the best of both worlds. Exactly. And not hurting animals in the process. Exactly. Yeah, it's so it's so fast. The brainwashing is just incredibly fascinating. And that's why you girls make those amazing YouTube videos to unbrainwash <laughs> everyone out there. We so, try, we try. Yes, check out Chew on Vegan, check out Ego Vegan Gal. 
So what would you say to someone today who came to you um, as a patient or as a friend and said, I'm dealing with autoimmune? What, 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 what protocol would you recommend or who should they contact? Well, usually I always tell them, t- talk to them about their diet, you know, and the first thing I say is dairy. You know, you need to get off the dairy. And I always point them in the direction, you know, watch forks over knives, watch what the hell. But in our area, I mean, as far as like a rheumatologist would I don't know. There's just not, they all do the standard practice, you know? So I just tell them you need to find a doctor that's going to support, you know, a plant base. But that's what, you know, I said, that's why I eat the way I eat because of my autoimmune disorders. And that's what you need to do too. Here's my card. Here's my channel. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show you how to, how to do it, you know? So. And do you, are they inspired by the fact that, okay, you've overcome an autoimmune, so maybe they can too? Definitely. And like at the break room at work, everyone's like, well, you know, they're kind of embarrassed by what they're eating. Yeah. (laughs) So I see that influence, you know, because, and I don't ever really say anything. I'm just eating my lunch and they're like, that looks really good, you know? And I said, oh yeah, it's just, it has this and this in it, you know? Isn't that fascinating when people get, you don't have to say a word, but if they know that you're eating healthy and plant plant based without you saying anything else about it they get embarrassed because they are seeing you doing something that they kind of want to do but aren't haven't quite figured out how to transition and i feel like embarrassment is maybe the first part of the transition it's having the awareness and saying you know the way Debbie eating is eating is the way that I I secretly want to eat, mm-hmm. but I'm not there yet. So well, the first they'll stage, be, they'll be like my age, mm-hmm. you know, and they have all these health problems, mm-hmm. and they're like, "You don't have those health problems." Well, there's a connection there. Yeah, yeah. there's a reason for that, and let me show you. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you look at. I was thinking about this earlier today too. How it's it's standard for somebody to get overweight as they age, to get wrinkles, to you know, have thin hair and maybe to have back, pro- all these issues that we associate with older Arthritis, age. osteoporosis. Right. Exactly. And then early death, you know, it's like common for people die in their 60s and 70s, right? And they assume this is normal. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be. And I think that it's really amazing when people above the age of 40 or 50 are using these lifestyles because they can show that you can recover quickly you can run a marathon like mm-hmm. you know a few months or a year after whatever i don't remember the exact timeline but but you can recover so quickly and then still enjoy your youth and look better and so no wonder people are ashamed is because they they probably know deep down that this is going to lead them to feeling awful and not looking their best right and they're nurses and so, like you mm-hmm. should know better you know, yeah. you should be an example for your patients, right. you know, and I tell them, and I don't know who said it, it's, I, I didn't make it up, but it's like genetics, load the gun, lifestyle pulls the trigger, mm-hmm. you know, cause the, well, my dad had it that it's like, but that's an excuse. And right. <clears throat> it's, it's a reason, it's a way for us to stay stuck in whatever it is and not take our health back into our hands and go, yeah, but I have the power to change this. Exactly. And I can't fault people because they don't know. But once you know, then you're empowered that you can change everything. Right. And okay, maybe it takes a little bit of time to pack your lunch, you know, but isn't that worth it to feel good mm-hmm. and to not be overweight and have these health issues? You know, it's it's a little sacrifice, which to me, it's not a sacrifice, but no, me either. Yeah. And it kind of is interesting, too, as a ripple effect. I'm really fascinated by psychology and sociology and, and how people interact with one another. 
And if you notice, in most cases, people tend to be magnetized towards people that are like them, like the way that they look, the way they act, the way that they live, all these choices. And when you were talking about how for nurses, for example, you know, if a nurse doesn't look good at a certain age, they may be in a way kind of saying like, I'm a nurse and I have been trained. So if this is how I look, like it is okay for you to be unhealthy too. And it's kind of like setting that standard. And then for you, Debbie, to walk in there and, and I imagine being incredibly vibrant relative to a lot of your coworkers, you're setting, setting a whole new standard for the patients that say, wow, look at this nurse. She's healthy. She has energy. You know, she looks great. She knows what she's talking about you may be helping so many people in all these subtle ways by setting that example. I hope so. so important. (laughs) What are some of the most um, popular recipes on your YouTube channel? My most popular one has just hit 12,000 views. And it's um, it's Chef AJ's Outrageous Brownies. Oh, I love Chef AJ. (laughs) Is she in the video or is it just... People love Chef AJ. She's <laughs> amazing. She has got a very loyal, passionate audience. Maybe yeah. tell a little bit about what she does in case nobody. Listening. She's been on the show. Oh, has she? But not for a while. So. Oh, okay. New listeners. May what not episode? Remember. Do you remember Allie? I have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the show notes, right? Yeah. Well, she's an amazing chef, and she all her recipes are salt, you know, SOS free, salt, sugar, oil free. And they're amazing. And, you know, I took these brownies to a potluck at work and people were freaking out over them, you know? Yeah. And she even saw my video. She said, thanks for making this video. Here's a 15% off coupon for this, the date syrup that I use, you know? So Aww. that was really sweet of her to do that. Yeah. But that's a really popular one. And then I do like a corn chowder is a popular one. I do that in my pressure cooker. Yum. Yeah. I really, I love my pressure cooker. So it's a Which seat. one do you have? I don't have an Instapot. It's just, I don't even remember the brand. I think I got it like on HSN or something. But Is it one on the stove or is it up a cord? Oh, no, it's electric. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's electric. And that's the other thing. People are like, oh, those are scary. I'm like, no, it's not like how it used to be, <laughs> like on the stove. Yeah. It's going to explode. I right, go, right. They shut off automatically. They're perfectly safe. Yeah, they're, yeah. those are. Yeah. And I've, I've had two or three people at work. They're like, I got a you know pressure cooker. And they're all Aww. excited about it. So. All right, Chef AJ was on episode 78 of the Food Heals podcast. Nice. Yeah, if you want to check it out. Um, what about Rip Esselstyn's Engine 2 lasagna? That sounds Ooh. delicious. Yeah, I just posted that yesterday. Oh, my god, That does sound really good. That's picture a good picture. Good. I know. That was a good one. <laughs> She's been working on her thumbnails. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I just found my new favorite. Hold on. McDonald's oh. vegan shamrock shake. Ooh, can we make that right now? I know. <laughs> that does How look really good. How many ingredients do you need? Let's see. I have mint leaves. I have a mint garden. What else do I need? It's just mint extract and Nadamu ice cream. It's not one of my healthier ones, but it is vegan. Some plant milk. It's really simple. Oh, my God. It <laughs> and looks I, delicious. I use some coconut whipped cream and some yeah, sprinkles. Yeah, I see the whipped cream on top. That's, yeah. what, that's what I need to know how to make, actually. How do you make that? Well, I just used, um, I think on that one, I used aquafaba. Mm. I just whipped that up, um, and that was easy enough to do. And for people who don't know what aquafaba like is. Like me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is um, basically bean juice. It's what comes out of the chickpea can. Brine. The, the yeah. I mean, I mean, I think you could use probably use any beans, but I use the chickpea. And and I'm sorry, you just whip it up into some whipped yeah, cream. It t- yeah, it, t- it takes a while, but it, it it does. It whips up. I don't yeah. understand. And then it tastes like whipped cream. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of. Y- <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I add a 
add a little Lakanto sweetener to it. Okay, it's yeah, you make it literally. Sweet. So when you get the can of chickpeas, yeah, you you strain it and you keep the liquid okay. and you put it in a in a you know you can put it in a stand mixer or a hand mixer and you just stand like what 10 15 yeah, takes 20 minutes and yeah you gotta be oh, patient I'm get some arm muscles from this yeah one. <laughs> totally but you need a you need an electronic mixer at, oh, at the it. very minimum but actually i think for that shake now that i'm thinking about it because that was a while ago i think i used just coconut cream because mm. trader joe's just has the coconut cream yes yeah and that's what i use for that one okay the i know how to made. make that yeah <laughs> well because there's the whipped cream and then you can also get the coconut cans and make whipped cream from that from scratch too so yummy i'm getting hungry i didn't get us enough snacks today <laughs> this is what's so neat though is is these simple things that we can make because i remember making whipped cream with my mom mm-hmm. and you still needed to get heavy cream and yeah. whip it up yeah so yeah. if you can do that exact same process but just switch out the base ingredient it shows you that eating plant-based and healthy is not that different than the other way around so that's why channels like debbie's are just so helpful because look at all these delicious dishes and you have a website that has all the recipes on it right now actually or? the recipes are just in the description box right um, my website should be done by the end of this month i'm hoping so and that'll be chewonvegan.com excellent yeah and that'll be in the show notes yeah for sure and what about these deviled potatoes that are vegan <laughs> like they look like de- little deviled eggs they're so cute yeah you just steam some red potatoes and then you scoop out the inside and add like some mustard salt and pepper I'll have to look at the, the actual <laughs> recipe. I don't memorize them all. But then you put it back into the potato. I brought that to a potluck, too, and people freaked out over that, That's too. a good potluck Are these dish. original, a lot of these, if they don't If say... they're not original, I've adapted it to my style. Yeah. I've tweaked it. So I have so much... I'm so amazed by people that come up. Like, that deviled potatoes, was that an original idea? No, like, that was not an original idea. I mean, because that's that brilliant. Was, <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's... I just go on the internet, and I... I will take a non-vegan recipe and just make veganize it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I found another one, you guys. Pumpkin vegan donuts. Oh, that sounds so good. Or the pumpkin French toast sounds great, Ooh. too. These all sound really good. Oh, yeah. Vegan hamburger helper. <laughs> oh, I know. I need to go and watch all of these. Well, my thing is that I am not a chef. But if it's simple, I can make it. And that's when I'm so happy. Mm. But it can't be all complicated with like a million ingredients and <laughs> cooking different things so they're all ready yep. at the same time. I can't follow I'm, it. I'm with you because I'm not a chef either. And I'll look at a recipe and go like, one, nope, not too <laughs> Exactly. But, but from the looks of your channel, it really feels like you it's all know so much of what you're doing. So oh, just, just scrolling through her YouTube channel is oh really gosh. making me salivate right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell everyone a little bit about um, where they can find you online, follow you, get your recipes, work with you in any capacity, all that good stuff. Absolutely. You can always um, email me at chewonvegan at gmail.com, but I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all Chew on Vegan and YouTube Chew on Vegan. And Whitney, where can everyone find you online? (laughs) Well, I'm in the middle of transitioning my brand. So currently, it depends when people listen, I guess. The best place to keep in touch will be through my new website, WhitneyLauritson.com. And I guess that'll be in the show notes because maybe you don't know how to spell my last name. But currently, my my brand. I know how to spell it. Who are you talking no, to? No, I mean people listening. My <laughs> oh, <none>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but currently, my brand's un, uh, mostly under Eco Vegan Gal, and I'm trying to decide if I'm going to change that username in, in sometime this year. So 
Okay, last question for both of you. How has making this YouTube channel really helped you with living your life's passion? Give me the goods. First of all, I'm watching you use Instagram right now, and I had no idea you could do that. I'm your... making an Instagram story as I see. I know, but that looks so I had no idea. Instagram. Wow. I just made that up. That, I mean, I'm just using no, the but color. I didn't know you could do that. That's so you can brilliant. Do anything you want. That's, what the, <laughs> the little, that's why they make it artistic. But isn't it funny as some people like I, I'm amazed at Debbie and her kitchen artistry and then watching you do something on Instagram I've never thought to do before. We learned so much from each other. Which oh, is yeah. so amazing. It's so fun. YouTube and, and similar platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any of these platforms that are coming out, whatever you're using, is is really an opportunity for you to connect with other people in a way that we couldn't, you know, 10 years ago or yeah. so. Well, maybe 15 at this point. But we, things have been changing so much. And they're a place of an expression, of really sharing your life with people and expressing something about yourself, whether it's artistic or whether it's knowledge or you're sharing your experiences with people. And I think if you have a passion, we're so fortunate now that we can share that passion and build communities around that passion. And it it helps us to not feel so alone. Yeah. And it's a great way to educate people. It's a great way to inspire, motivate. It's a great way to spread messaging, really, in a way that we couldn't before. We think back to the olden days where, like, you send letters to people and, like, or you had to, like, travel by horseback to, like, reach somebody far away. And Do you now- guys watch Timeless? What's that? Sorry, it's the best show what? ever. But they ride on horse. They do. They, yeah, they write letters and ride on horseback because they go back in time. It's the oh, best show. Cool. On TV. I want to watch. Sorry. That. Sidebar. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so obsessed right now. I yeah. just saw the season finale. Oh, oh my, my god. god, I love shows. Like I, I'm. That's the one thing that probably surprises people about myself is that I love binge watching TV shows Me and too. I also play Nintendo. Yes, so, that's why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and people are like, what? They don't see like wellness and like, you know, healthy living and entrepreneurship as like. We're multifaceted people. Yeah, I think like, and that's an important thing to share too, is that there are people that believe, oh, I don't have time for TV or TV rots your brain, whatever. I've always found TV to be very soothing and video games to be very like nice to just kind of step away. I love reading books too, but sometimes I just want to watch something or play a game. Well, I mean, half of what we do is networking. I need to know what's going on in the world. Even if I don't watch the news, I watch the shows that talk about the news. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I need to be able to, you know, talk about what happened on Game of Thrones the, the night before. <laughs> and I think actually coming back to what I was just saying, that bonds us too, because I love meeting people that watch the same TV shows as me and sitting. I mean, last night I had dinner with a friend and we sat there and talked about Westworld for a while. And it was like, I'm so oh my gosh. Right now. Oh, I'm so in love with Westworld oh, right awful. now. I, no, it's, it's terrible. I am so into it. And Ugh. see, that's the thing is that <laughs> you can have little debates about things or you can bond over the fact that you both love something. And, you know, social media allows us to do that too. We could do that through video. We can do that through posts and photos and, it's really all about bonding at the end of the day. And I think and we're so fortunate for that. Supporting yeah. each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also would encourage anyone to start a YouTube channel. If you have, we all have a voice. There's somebody out there that needs to hear what you have to say. Yeah, so true. So, you know, just do it. And there's resources out there. And and have fun with it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. And how, what has it done for you? Well, I think it's, it's definitely made me um, more confident. 
uh, just, you know, having to, d- to do those videos and look into a camera and, you know, talk into a camera and cook. I'll do things at the same time, you know. And it's also, I've met so many people like you and Whitney and Jason. It's like really Vince. changed my life, you know, <laughs> like started a whole another path on my life. Yeah, it helps introduce you to people having an online, you know, that's how I inter- I, I meet people. I'm like, hey, do you want to be interviewed? Come over. <laughs> hey, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing things that I never thought I would do, like coming on here, you know, mm-hmm. that was kind of my New Year's resolution was to say yes to things that scare me. Awesome. Oh, I love so. that. Mine's the opposite. Mine's like, say, say no, no to more things. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny, too, is like, you know, your careers go through these waves. Right, of, yeah. You know, there are times where you want to say yes, because you haven't been saying yes enough. And then there are times where you're like, I'm saying yes way too much. I need to start saying well, no not more. not say yes to everything. Yeah. <laughs> things that scare me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. To push myself. Yeah. That's how we move forward. Yes. If we stay comfortable, we die. Right. That that reminds me of something that Melissa so Alice and I have this wonderful friend and also assistant who works with us both part-time. And She's Melissa taught me something really great, which I, I mentioned over the weekend to you, Allison. So we were talking about FOMO. So I'll, I, a lot of times I won't say no to things because of FOMO. There's part that fear, fear of, of missing out. Exactly. <laughs> so there's like, oh, if I say no, then what if I miss out on this great opportunity or great experience? And then I see all the pictures on Instagram and I'm jealous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that feeling. So Melissa said, well, what about Jomo? And I, I asked her, what is Jomo? Have you heard of this, Debbie? Well, you did it on one of your videos. Oh, that's true. Yes, I forget. <laughs> um, so it means the joy of missing out. And she said that sometimes you can can relish the fact that you did say no to something and you what do you get to do instead of the thing that you feel like you're missing out on and saying like, because I said no to this, I get to do this instead. And I love that so much. So I, it's such a great... I, anytime I can share that with somebody, I'm passing on Melissa's wisdom. <laughs> Not that she came up with it, but I feel, you know, when somebody tells you something like you that. You want to give them credit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She deserves credit. She's awesome. Yeah. She's Fork in Plants on Instagram if you want to check her out. She's got a beautiful um, Instagram and she shares plants and good food and she makes like, incredible recipes. She's yeah. a vegan chef, so check her out too. All right, one more time, WhitneyLordson.com. Yes. YouTube.com slash chew on vegan. Correct. Thanks, girls. So Thank much you so for much. Being here. Thanks, yeah. Alice. It's fun. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately.